Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear what my sisters have to say about the election. So you're on the school bus and you guys had this song. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sing it again. We sing it all the time. We're like, Donald Trump is a beep, 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 And so... Yeah. Okay, and then what happened? And then he won. And, and everyone was like, what the fuck? Stand up, bussing, and fighting. Hello, I'm Nalika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. Today, I am joined by um, family, uh, the whites, as I like to call the collective. Hi, Keith and Aleppo. Hey. Hi. Say hi to the people. Hello. Hello to the people. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Hamero. What's up? What's, What's up? up, people? What's, What's up, Keith and Allegra? What's up, everyone? What's up, and brother? so we like to start the podcast with one word to describe how you're feeling right now. So I'll start with you, Allegra. What's one word? <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to find one. Uh, relaxed. A little bit. Maybe that's not true. Hmm. I don't think that's true. No, that's not the right word. <laughs> I'm going to take it. I want it. I want I, relaxed. I think, that's the word okay, I want. We'll, I want we'll it to be true. Your shoulder shrug look relaxed. Okay. Well, yes. Yes. Keith, what you got first? Cool. Cool. <laughs> you look very cool right now, Keith. Not you look cool, really cool like right a, now. I'm a cool dude, describe. but like just whatever. <laughs> Interest. I don't even know what that. I don't know how, how to. I don't know what that means. We're gonna get into Me it because I'm very curious. <laughs> I never heard cool as in like whatever. Because you're so cool, you're like whatever. No, not, no, no. Yeah, like, that's 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 usually whatever's happening. Whatever's happening. You're I'm flowing. Like, I'm you're cool. Flowing? Whatever. Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, like cool. water. You're like water. <laughs> I am feeling. I'm hype. Yo, I was talking about you guys yesterday and africa and all of that and mm-hmm. so like i'm hyped to talk to you see you mm-hmm. yeah i'm feeling in charge responsible responsible there's a lot of things going on and i feel like i'm holding all of it so i wanted to bring you guys on first of all you have to come on because it's kind of now a tradition every season of raising rebels you know the whites are on, so it just it wouldn't it wouldn't it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't work Thanks if you didn't do it. So that's you. one thing. And then the other part of it is the election is coming, and we talk a lot about all things, including politics. And I just feel like there's no other two people I would want to have this conversation um, about what it looks like to be parents during this time with this upcoming election than the two of you. And so why don't we start with you guys quick and dirty because anybody who listens to the podcast really knows and people who this is the first episode, they can scroll back and listen back. But quick little, who are the two of you? Allegra, tell us about yourself. Um, I am Allegra. 
who is a mother of five girls, wife to Keith, and a doula, full spectrum doula. So prenatal, postpartum, the whole thing. That's right. Keith? Um, I'm Keith White, and I am father of five, husband, partner to Allegra, and attorney by trade. Mm-hmm. Matt, what do you want to tell people about yourself? I have an amazing partner, Nolika. That's right. That's exactly how to start. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And she's put me through it. And three wonderful daughters, mm-hmm. Blue, Moxie, and Glory. And I'm living my best life out here in Amsterdam right now. Agreed. Agreed. I'll take. I'll do that. Okay. Um. Tell us. So I was thinking about our children. We have like a group, and instead of like telling us about each one of your individual children. Tell us about your children as a collective. Like, how would you describe them as, like, one entity? Loud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I would say uh, circus. We have a family of entertainers. Mm, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's interesting. When I thought about this for us, too, with the girls, I thought of, like, um, like a... a, uh, like a band. Like there's a way that they harmonize together. Like they understand oh, yeah. each other. They like have their own shit going on. They're creating their own music. They're like they're they have their own language. Um and it's like amazing to watch. Like I wanna I see them as like mm-hmm. a band. Yeah, very like outward facing too. Like there's a way that they're showing us something. Like there's something to be like kind of what you were saying with your girl, like a circus. Like they're all doing so many different things and like you're around, you got like overstimulated. Um, but it makes sense. Like everything, everything is it makes sense to them. But you're looking at it and you're like, I don't Your description sounds more harmonious though <laughs> than our <laughs> Well, circus our is situation. different. A circus is different. A circus <laughs> is different. Yeah, a circus is different. A circus is different than a band, but I I get it. It all makes sense, it all works. Um what are you celebrating with your children right now? Hmm. Being together. I was going to say that. Mm-hmm. Being home. Yeah. We really are uh, grateful to be home with everyone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, we're celebrating the time, I would like to say. The time together, the time to reset, the time to relax, the time to rethink how we move through this place. Mm-hmm. Well, um... Like I said, I really wanted to talk about the election. And really, I've been, I have so many thoughts about it as myself, as an individual, as an adult. And I think about the kids and how they must be looking at all of these adults like you guys are are ridiculously, like, just fucking this whole shit up. Um, And so I was thinking a lot about um, voting in particular and how I talk to the girls about voting and what they think about voting and like how I feel about voting now and how people are communicating to, you know, black people in particular about how they should be going around thinking about this election and their kind of responsibility, obligation to vote. And so I asked you, part of what we do with the podcast is like recollections to connect with our childhood selves and really to get our minds, like get a better understanding of what it is to be a young person. Um, I thought about this idea of obligations and how we, you know, how we approach things that we feel 
like we don't really we're supposed to do um versus feeling excited about doing or feeling like you just could not do it and it wouldn't matter but like no I have like I'm I'm obligated to do this so I ask you all to think about um as far back as you can always in memory of a time you felt obligated or an obligation um and Keith I'm going to start with you uh what comes to mind for you um church church I felt obligated from a very young age to find the church to go to on Sundays is something that my grandmother, both my grandmothers, kind of instilled in me, um, even though my parents didn't necessarily go to church until I was like a teenager. Um, I would still, on Sundays, be in my neighborhood looking for some church to attend. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. Even though your parents, you just like felt like you needed yeah, to do so, that. Yeah, so like yeah, my parents, yeah, my parents didn't start till fourteen, but up and up until then, like I would be like you know visiting different churches. Mm-hmm. 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 And where do you like? What do you attest? Like, what was going on around you? Like, why did you feel that obligation? Um, I think that it was the it was the the concept of the fear of God. Um. Not the, not necessarily like the hermeneutic term, but like more like the, like the colonized idea of the fear of God. Right. And I think that, um, it was that. And I think it was just my grandmother's like, you know, telling me like, you know, you need to go to church. Mm hmm. Um, Allegra, do you have any recollections of an obligation in your childhood? So when you framed it in a, when you framed obligation in a way where there wasn't going to be a consequence, um, the first thing I thought of, although the church thing is good, but the first thing I thought of was, um, cooking. Um, it was instilled in me from very young that it was something that you did for your family. It was your responsibility to feed your family and to learn how and to, you know, figure it out, figure out the technique, make sure that it was good and nourishing and nourishing in different ways. Um, food is a big part of my family and always has been gatherings and, and anything and was, you know, like a lot of black families just, um, circled around food and, and from little, I was in the, I was in the kitchen with my great grandmother. That's who I lived with. Um, so my Trini great grandmother taught me how to do everything and from scratch. And, um, I felt like that was just, that was normal. That was what you did. And it's morphed as, in, as, as an adult, it feels less like an obligation and more like my love language. But I, but as a little girl, I didn't, I felt like it was, um, that's, that's what it was. It was something you, you had to do. But can I just also say though, that I think obligation has, is tricky because I think a lot of it, some of it has to do with who you are and how you receive things. Because someone else that grew up with my grandmother might not feel the same obligation or pull towards cooking. So mm -hmm. I think that's also important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hamara? Um, my younger brother, Lemark, is six years younger than me. And so when I started junior high school, he started kindergarten. 
And I remember when I started junior high school, I went to Mount St. Michael for junior high school. And it was like traveling a little further. You had to take a bus and had to get back to pick him up from school every day from kindergarten. It was like tight. But the walk home for him, it wasn't far, but it was like through like, I don't know, the informal commerce of my neighborhood. And so it was like better for him to have some company right walking home at six years old. And so I remember going like rushing to go pick him up every day when school started. And I definitely felt obligated every day towards the end of the school day to feel like, okay, I got to make sure I could get out of here to go pick my brother up on time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, something that came to it's interesting, like, um, it was hard for me to think of obligation because I didn't feel very obligated. Like I could that word. I didn't feel a lot of, um, having to do things outside of what I, outside of fear and outside of like what I wanted to. So it was either like I was, I had to do this because if I didn't, there was going to be a consequence or I did what I wanted to do. So that sense of like no obligation, like inside me. No one's telling me particularly every day to do this thing, but I feel very committed to upholding this tradition. Or And I was like, what is it? What is it? And very much, I think, had to do with religion. And not necessarily in my household. I went to Catholic school um, as elementary school. And part of when you so – part of that there's something they're really big on, even with like really young children, is going to confession. And so, I mean, once you get communion, I, and I think you do that like when you're 11 years old, 12, it's like something like that. The idea is that now you're responsible for your sins. And so whatever you do, you got to go in and you got to confess it. And um, now when I see those like the confessionals, like this is the scariest, strangest this is a very weird, like, what the fuck are you having little children go? Like, it just seems really strange to me. But I felt very obligated to go to confession and to figure out some sin to communicate to the priest. Like, I had to, like, I felt like, no, no, there's got to be something. Like, like dig in there. You got to go find something. And I would. And it was always be like the same thing. Like, I lied. And it'd always be the same thing, like, say, five Hail Marys and you're fine. But I remember, like, before you said, and, like, I got to think of some. I got, like, I'm here. Like, I can't go. I could, I never, I would have never gone in there and be like, no, I don't have, I, I'm great. I didn't do anything bad this week. <laughs> like, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that. Like, I felt like I had to do it. And when I was thinking about, like I said, the election and the messaging right now to black folks specifically, something I'm hearing a lot or like I'm, I think it's being communicated and people are feeling um, is a sense of obligation. Not that you're like consciously being able, like in a position to critique whether or not you want to or not want to. Like, it's like you had to, like, you know, I, you know, this idea like vote or die is real. Like there's like, you are obligated to participate. Like there's something, there's not a lot of choices to be made about whether or not you engage. And then also, Figure out something to say, like figure out something to choose, like just do it. And I think I, you know, something that was going to my mind, I've been voting since I could vote. Like I come from um, a family that I don't know, it's similar, like this obligation, like you vote, like that's just something you do. We're Caribbean, we come from Jamaica, and when it's election time, it's a real, real thing. Like there's two party systems in Jamaica, PMP and 
JLP. And I promise you, people who have not like people who have not been to Jamaica, like maybe you left Jamaica when you were seventeen years old. You could tell you can you're like seventy now. You know what your affiliation is. Like it's it was that deeply it's that deeply rooted in like the culture. And so my mother always voted like election time local elections whatever she is going to vote and so when i turned eight as soon as i turned 18 i was voting every election local elections and then i was thinking about how you'd go there and the ballot would be like full like it's like so many different things to vote for and i didn't know everything but i knew i was like voting democrat or independent, whatever I chose. Green one year was like all Green Party, whatever it was that I was like. This is what I'm doing. And I just go there and just chick 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 down there. Mm-hmm. Like I had to figure out something to put, and there wasn't a lot of time and energy given to just like unpacking what all of it means, like deeply investigating who the people are, what they're gonna do, what this means, why is it on the ballot, like. Now, in retrospect, like I remember, as a, and I know, like as a teacher, or even at dinner time when we're like deciding what we're going to eat, there is this kind of like, int- like there's a conversation before we make choices. Let me let me let you fully understand what is the options, and that's not how elections ever felt to me. And so, I, my first question to all of you is, what are your earliest memories of voting? Like, when did you start voting? Um, Keith, I'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> um so well i'm assuming i'm assuming wait wait i start with an assumption do you vote so i do vote um okay i do vote my first experience was with voting um so the voting polls were in my building where i lived so for many years when i couldn't vote i used to be jealous like oh wow you guys get to pull the lever you guys get to you know, choose who you want in office, blah, blah, blah. And so my earliest experience with voting was was going in the booth with my mom, watching her pick who she was going to vote for. And then I think, oh, who who ran in 1998? Um, was it Walter Mondale or Dukakis? I don't remember. But I think that that was... Nobody knows. <laughs> But I think that was my first, like 1998 was like, I mean, 1994, that was like the first time that I remember like voting and like trying to figure out who I wanted to vote for, for like the local judges and all of that stuff. That's my first experience. I actually don't remember. I don't really remember the first time I voted, to be honest. My first memory of voting is that that's how uh, Keith shot his shot was he registered me to vote. <laughs> so tell, tell us more, tell us more, tell us more, tell I us more. I saw was smiling and I didn't know where she was from. That's why I saw it too. That's why he looked at me. Tell us more. That's not why you looked at me? I did, I did, no, no, that's why I looked at you. Oh, but okay. I, it wasn't, I didn't shoot my shot. It was your friend shot your shot, shot your shot. Okay. All right, sir. But that's how we, that's how we became to be, no? <laughs> We're backing up on that, huh? All right, wait, so- wait. It, it makes perfect sense <laughs> that your love story is somehow related to voting. No, and Keith, go ahead, tell, tell it, tell it. So Keith was doing the um, voter registration. voter registration table at our church. I went up to the voter registration table to register, and um, when I was filling out the card, my cousin told him, you know, basically that I was attracted to him, and I like 
walked away screaming like a crazy person because I was so embarrassed. And um, the next week he like pulled me to the side and was like, you know, I mean, me too, basically. No, did I, did I tell that? What That's not, mm-hmm. that's not No, nah, I was like, I mean, you're cool. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Keith, don't right. act that way. Yeah, don't act exactly. like that. It doesn't even make sense after yeah, five children. Exactly. It just sounds let's, crazy. Let's, it's just like everybody's like uh, looking at you sideways. Everybody's like, stop what playing. What happened the next week, Keith? We know, we know you cool and everything. <laughs> what happened the next week, Keith? We know you cool and everything. <laughs> we, the next week, you were like, well, I'm going to just use this number on this voter registration card and... You know, make it do what it do. No, mm-hmm. that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Really? <laughs> oh, wow. So let's not. He's a lawyer now. Let's not tell those stories. Let's not. We all be. <laughs> Is that against the law? I don't know. That's, that's good work. That's resourceful. That's not. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. Hamir, what's about you? What's your first um, memory of voting? I've only voted once, and it was for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've never voted again. The numbers just don't make sense to me. I'm confused well, when I look down, at slow it. Slow down. Give people some background. Sorry. Why? Why is a lot of Barack Obama your first one? You just sound all reckless right now. So I wasn't a citizen until just before Barack Obama was running for president, and so that was my my first opportunity to vote in a election. Mm-hmm. And so I voted for President Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I ever voted. Why did you feel, I mean, that's so, it is interesting to me because we had talked about for, I remember when I realized you weren't a citizen, like you were a nationalist citizen. And was it after I proposed? You never proposed. That's a, that's a topic for another <laughs> episode of this podcast. That's not, or not even this podcast, somebody else's podcast. Um, but regardless, I remember that I was, I was like, Oh, you're not a citizen. And I knew a lot of people that weren't citizens and it didn't matter. Like it wasn't, it didn't, at least at the time, it didn't feel like it was something that you urgently needed to do. And then there was a, when something happened, like graduate school time that it was like, oh, there's some grants you can't apply. There's things that were kept from you because you were not a citizen. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And that's kind of when we started like, oh, there's going to be more. You should apply for citizenship. And then. When the election, when Barack Obama's election came around, it was like this kind of, it was a joyous going to like vote. It was like this kind of like, oh, here we go. We're going to have this opportunity to go do this thing. And like, it wasn't, an, it didn't feel obligation. It felt like, I really feel like I, I got it. I'm really making a choice. I really want to do this. Like I want to do, I remember during that election, Blue was about, I think she was like two years old. And I took her to the, no, she was actually in New York and Siobhan, my sister, took her to the polls and they took pictures and it was this whole thing because we think we have to follow rules. Like you're not supposed to take pictures inside the polling place. And she's like, I snuck a picture because it was like Barack Obama's name was there. And it was just, it felt like, so like, I don't know. It felt very like celebratory. Like it felt Mm. very like. I was excited. I was excited. I mean, that's the only election I've been a part of. And people outside in lines singing. There was a whole inauguration Mm -hmm. after. It was all very celebratory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now I think it feels something that I keep coming to and trying to understand. And like I'm having tension around is that it feels like the stakes are too high. And I wonder how you feel like, what do you feel about that being the message that kids are getting? That voting and whether or not you vote means life or death. 
So I am approaching this conversation with openness because I don't feel like that. Um, I know Keith does, but I don't, I don't have that same, um, urgency or, uh, feeling that this is, um, dire in that way. I feel like that's what the machine wants you to believe. That's what, you know, um, all the propaganda and everything surrounding this, the hype wants you to feel like it's dire. And that's how we're programmed to like take the message messaging and then, um, do what, you know, respond and react to it accordingly. I don't, I don't feel like that. So I don't know that my, my kids feel like it's, um, black and white kind of thing. Um, for me, it feels like, you know, when, when a bunch of kids are playing and there's the youngest kid that wants to get in the game. And so there's the kid that the, the bigger kids, um, make the rules. There's one bigger kid that makes all the rules and then like delegates responsibilities to the other kids. And then everyone plays the game. And then they have that younger sibling that really wants to play, but they don't really want, want them to play, but they want them to feel like they did something one so that they're not like feeling left out, but then also so that, um, now the parental figure doesn't come in and they don't get in trouble. Right. It feels like, um, we're the, the little siblings being given an opportunity to come in and play. It feels like that all people like society is, are the, all of us like regular citizens are like the little, um, siblings that can come in and play, right? They're not really giving, they're not really giving anything meaningful, but they think it's meaningful. And so they're given this opportunity to vote. That's the point, you know given the opportunity to vote, but the people really in charge are the older sibling that made the rules to the game and um, the parent that will come in and enforce that they include the little sibling. And the president that we're voting for is not either of those people. So I'm still trying to figure out who the game maker, so to speak, is and who the parent figure is mm-hmm. in this whole like space. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I don't feel like who we're voting for are actually either those people pulling the strings or the, or the people that are like making the real decisions. I feel like we're just like playing along because they're allowing us to. In four years, he'll be gone. So in four years, Everything there'll be a new guy and this mistake that America made will be over. In four years, Barack Obama will come back and reclaim his honor. <laughs> but, you know. Like, it's like, yeah, it's just like, and all we have to do is survive the four years. Mm. And if we survive the four years, then the four year after the four years, 2020, it wasn't called 2020, it was just four years from now. <laughs> like, you know? But, like, in four years... There'll be a new guy. In four years, either the world will be over or everything will be great. Exactly. And what are you thinking well, now? Well, sadly, the world is ending. <laughs> no. no, I think we'll be fine. Yeah. We got a new white mistake instead of the old white mistake. That's good. <laughs> That's a step upwards. Or at least a step to the side. But I don't know that it's 
it's going to make any kind of difference because I feel like it's already been determined what's going to happen or, yeah, mm-hmm. or, you know. Everything you're saying resonates with me. Everything you're saying resonates with me. And it makes me think about like how when I was a teacher in school, you do a lot of voting. And we're constantly practicing democracy. I use like air quotes because I have a lot of thoughts about democracy um, with children that looks like they them getting to vote. But in actuality, they really don't have a lot of choice. Like who we decided what is possible. We decided like what the parameters are. We have some agenda around what we want to move forward or want to be the narrative. And the kids, the people who are like, it, it, the idea is it's supposed to give them agency. And so I under, I completely like what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. And then I feel very much sometimes like above it all, like, I don't know, above all doesn't make sense, but like, I get very heady about it. Like I feel, and then like, I'll read something or I'll see a post and like, it'll be very much like, but you're not on the ground. Like you're not the people, like you're not as impacted or affected by what's about to happen here. And then I, so then I feel like, okay, let me check myself. (laughs) You know, let me, let me, let me take a moment. I'm not saying not to vote and I'm not saying I wouldn't, I'm not participating in it, but the way that I get to like, think about it, like intellectualize it, I guess a little bit. And this idea that for so many people, this does feel like life or death, even though it doesn't feel like to me. And then I check my children and I'm like, I wonder how they're thinking about this. And I realize that they too have some really strong feelings about this election. So Keith, what about for you? Like, how do you feel like about the importance or the messaging to young people around this, this election right here? Can I just say, though, about the issue with the the point about life or death? Um, that's actually a concern of mine that we're that's the messaging messaging now. I feel like if you are now becoming concerned about this election being life or death, you have already been dying, so to speak. If you are just starting to be like tuned into what's happening and um, really worried and nervous and just starting to inform your kids and just starting to have these conversations, that is um, alarming to me. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I think, I think the, um, I think the challenge for me is that um, th- the messaging is vote, 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 but voting is just one of the tactics that is required for any meaningful change in a society. And so if you are, if you are a free market, hyper individualist capitalist, then it doesn't matter who you vote for. You're practicing and you're reinforcing the very values and principles that are antithetic to a democracy. If you are, you know, if, if, if you are selfish in your everyday life, then you are you would you are doing the very thing that belies your vote you know and so mm-hmm. the 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 concept of voting i think being pressed upon the generation without other forms and acts of civic engagement um is it that's that's what's irresponsible to me i do think that um this 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 election has wide-ranging implications 
Um, I don't know if the presidential election has wide ranging implications because Joe Biden is a nicer version of Trump, a more polite, a more politically correct version of Trump. Um, and Kamala Harris is a black woman and an intel is a, is a, is an intellectual articulate version of Trump, um, and Trump values. I think that the fact that they're nice and they talk to people and do these, you know, do nice looking things, um, means nothing to me. And in terms of, in terms of policy, when I look at the Biden campaign, you know, they commissioned battle rappers to do an ad because that's what they thought would appeal to young black men, young black voters. And that shows how disconnected that shows how disconnected they are from black culture. And it shows how tone deaf they are to black culture. On the flip side, on the flip side, you have Donald Trump, who is a maniac. And he's an idiot and he's an embarrassment and he's all of the terrible things you can think of. And he's an overt, explicit racist and he hates everybody except himself. Oh, he might even hate himself. Right. He has to. But the so so the the idea of the idea of doing anything that allows him to still exist in the space of leadership is irresponsible to me. And so, so that's where I am with the presidential election. I do think that the local elections, the senators, congressmen, those elections are incredibly important for several reasons. One, the courts have been being stacked with people who hate black people, people who hate poor people. The courts have been being stacked by these people for a very long time. And that is something that that is something that needs to be addressed. Our criminal justice or the American criminal justice apparatus. It's not mine anymore. The so I think I think that the election has wide ranging implications. And it is it is to me, it is literally life or death for some people. I think that some people have the privilege of not necessarily not of it not affecting their life to that degree. But if you but like um but if you, you know, so, so for example, November 10th, there's going to be a seminal case before the Supreme Court that may determine how much of the Affordable Care Act gets gutted. The Affordable Care Act um, mandates that insurance companies provide insurance to people who have pre-existing health conditions. And if that gets gutted or if that mandate gets removed then the only thing that will be able to put it back will be an executive order and the president will have have that ability that's important or do some legislative act and the senate and the congress will have that ability so with regard to like that voter the voter die concept it's kind of silly because it comes around every 4 years or every 8 years whenever there's like a candidate that puffy likes or hates, right? But like, so the concept of voter die is a bit disingenuous um, for, for many people. But for some people, I think that it actually is actually accurate.
Wild Wild Tech is a brand new podcast all about the intersection of technology and pop culture. Each week on Wild Wild Tech, we will bring you the wildest, most bizarre, most interesting stories about technology and how it's shaping our culture. We found experts, journalists, and people who lived through these incredible events who will help us understand how technology is affecting our daily lives. Subscribe to Wild Wild Tech to hear about how the video game World of Warcraft is helping us understand the spread of COVID-19. Or how artificial intelligence is trying to break copyright law. Find Wild Wild Tech for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think I want to say, I want to say, um, and I'm out, please jump in. That to me is, is what is so problematic with, I mean, everything you guys are saying, I completely agree with and resonates with me. And then I think about our children and, um, something that was, you know, I was talking to the girls and they were talking about four years ago and Blue made this statement that she goes, 2020 is supposed to be my year. And I was like, what? What? Tell me more. And she was like, no, kids think. So I she was talking, telling stories about school and all that. And she said something to the fact of like, when 2016 happened and Trump got elected, kids amongst themselves were just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, how did this just happen? My parents told me this could never happen. That, you know, my parents, like, I just, their whole worldview, their whole romanticizing about what it is to be America, what is voting is, what democracy is. They're coming off of eight years of Barack Obama and all they thought that meant, right? Not in the weeds that you're talking about, not like what's coming through the Supreme Court, just like who's the head figure? What do they look like? How kind are they? I like the dog. The kids look like me. Like that kind of just, you know, like what it feels like to be in this world, what it means to be in this country. And then 2016 happened and there was this sense of like, oh, America really made a mistake. We really messed up. We made a a huge mistake and we're just going to correct it in four years. So we just have to survive, just put our heads down, figure it out, survive. And then in four years, we could rectify it. And I was like, that's so interesting. And I know for a lot of like, for black people, and that this is like, not them personally, this is like what they're hearing amongst their peers. They go to like multiracial mixed environments. And and I was just, when they said it to me, I was like, oh no, wait. So kids, parents, kids' parents were telling them that everything was going to be okay in four years. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I guess that's why we're here where we are right now, because kind of what to what you're saying is like, if you thought this was just a blip, like we just messed up and that the election or this idea of voting is going to self-correct, right? We have four years to self-correct that this is going to come and do this. And regardless of who wins this election, we know there's no self-correcting to happen. This is actually like a almost in in some ways it felt like this is inevitability this was coming this is what was this is like part of the what needed to happen what needs to happen in the reckoning um but definitely in a lot of ways feel like gravity 
Go ahead. What are you saying, man? I'm saying in a lot of ways, it definitely feels like gravity. It feels like all of this is pulling towards kind of where we were, mm-hmm. the path we were on, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, you all nailed so much of how I think I feel about election and democracy in the United States. And I, it, it really brings me to, I remember like a few years ago, I was really deeply trying to think about this language from Malcolm X around the ballot or the bullet. And what he talks about this idea of how dire it is for some people, I think is captured in that. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, the title of it got me to this idea, like it has to be one or the other. We have to be either in revolution or we have to be voting Mm -hmm. or have to be changing, you know, who makes our policy. But I am of the mindset that like local politics really requires us to be involved in the ballot. And that doesn't change that we need to maybe be in a revolution on a bigger level because the gravity is just going in the wrong direction mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. kind of need to have force in that way. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad you brought up Malcolm because that, that, that's, that's the thing, what you just said, the ballot of the bullet. And, and one of the things that Malcolm always criticized the civil rights movement about was that and this takes me back to my roots, you know, with me feeling obligated to go to church because grandma, grandma's always wanted me to have a concept of a higher authority, of a higher accountability. And when I think about Malcolm's issues with the civil rights movement, he, his problem was that civil rights leaders were forfeiting their human rights struggle for a civil rights struggle. And when you forfeit your human rights struggle for mm-hmm. civil rights struggle, mm-hmm. you're saying, regardless of my, my God-given rights, my God-given, all of these things, right? I am putting that to the side and I'm subjecting myself to laws that you've, that you've mandated and created. And I'm asking for a place within that system. And I think that, um, I think that that's, that's the challenge with, 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 with us and where we are as, as people. And I don't mean just black people. I mean, just human beings is that we forfeit, we, we forfeit and give up things that should be very basic so that we can fit into a structure and the American structure of politics and governance. If you think about even the Barack Obama years, which people think are glory years, right? When you think about those years, there were kids. I don't think anybody thinks that anymore. I think <laughs> okay. that I think that's I think people of that ship has sailed. I okay. think that ship has right. sailed. As long as people know. You think were... people still think that? I, th- yeah, I, I think that I think that people think that. I think people think that because people think that people think Trump is so terrible on one end of the spectrum that they that they even mm-hmm. think that George W. Bush is relatively a benign actor. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you if you look at the history, kids mm-hmm. were in cages. Kids were in families were in cages under Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. The, the footprint of America in Africa quadrupled under Barack Obama. Like mm-hmm. it was these were. I want to say that second election of Bush completely prepared me for 2016, because when when W got reelected, I was like, oh, this is not even a real thing anymore. I was so I remember I don't even know how old I must have been in my 20s. I was so devastated I was like, there's no way anybody saw, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11. There's no way that anybody looked at it. I was just like, oh, I really, this is really 
this is this is not a real place. Like this is not a real thing. This elect like these. If it's going to be left to people who could see everything I just saw, experience everything I just experienced, and this person got reelected, oh, I'm done. Like I, I'm clear. I'm so much clearer than I've ever been before about like, exactly what is possible and what isn't possible. And I feel very strongly that whether you vote or not vote, your what you said, your humanity, your like human rights should still be protected. Like your like what it is to be a human being in this world should not be impacted by whether or not you get up on the first Tuesday in, in November and go to election. I think that from so many places that have elections and like um or how it could be is that yeah you can steer where your country goes a little bit one direction or or not. But it shouldn't be sweeping. It shouldn't look like tomorrow we're going to live in a completely different place because of who I chose to elect, like who got chosen and voted on because we're so disconnected from our humanity and like what really are exactly what you're saying. Like what are things I heard someone say, we have made things that should not be political, political. Like we have made things that should not have anything to do in the realm of elections and voting and politics. Part of that, like what you're saying, like health insurance, (laughs) whether or not, you know, like that should not be something that is voted on or like, that's just, that's just humanity. And we've shifted that. And something that I got to just say, I'm, you know, we are in Amsterdam now and you know, I'm talking to you guys. They have like so many of our people, like all like most all of our people are still in the US and um when I'm talking to them something that keeps happening is pe- our people are communicating to me this need for like how to to learn how to like protect themselves to learn how to like have gun like have a gun have like some kind of different level of um protection in the lead up to this election and to me that is like it's like a like a siren like it is like it's not even a canary it's just feels like what is hap- like what do you hear what you're like what does that mean and it's true and the thing about it is like i don't i'm not saying that like no it's not that serious i'm like no if you think it's that serious it probably is that serious and then what does that mean um and so i guess one question i have for you is like how are you preparing yourself and how are you preparing your children for this election um so what are we doing to prepare so so let's be i mean i'll just be clear so we, we i plan on voting um and i plan on supporting i have working with some other groups of people to support people who have issues getting to the polls in pennsylvania and ohio mm-hmm. making sure that we have a response to Voter suppression that mm-hmm. as a civic, as a civic act, um, we are preparing to, to defend ourselves if we have to, because, you know, there are armed militias that are out here that are doing, um, that are doing what white people do. And so we are, um, you know, we are preparing ourselves that way. We are. Um, we've, we, we are banded around an, a community of, of legal arms. And so we have the, we have the wherewithal 
we do, we don't necessarily talk to them about it because some of it, it's not their reality. It's not their reality yet. And mm. so I don't want to, I don't want to project. What do you mean by that? We don't want to project. Um, we don't want to project a fear on them. They know that if somebody does something to them, it's our belief that we have a responsibility to protect ourselves. But we don't, we, we, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not showing them weapons. We're not, we're not engaged in, in, in that type of activity. But, you know, um, I think that we have been coming to them from a place of, um, fear and alarm concerning the election. We're not talking directly about, um, what, what we're going to do, um, in terms of voting, but we are already being reactionary. We're like, we're getting out of here. And, you know, that's a privilege, mm-hmm, but we mm-hmm. are tell, we, we are telling them like, it's going to be even crazier no matter who wins. And we do not feel good here. So mm-hmm. we need to leave. We've been wanting to leave for a mm-hmm. while. And mm-hmm. so, um, mm-hmm. as a result of what we see coming, this is where we're going to be come December because we don't feel good here. We're not happy here. And we want everyone to feel good about, um, security and, um, normal basic things. And so we've been very reactionary um, in ter- uh, in relation to to voting and the election. I definitely think, yeah, I think, and I think that Donald Trump has been become like you know Val- Voldemort in Harry Potter, like he, you know, like he's Thanos, like he has become the villain in so many, like we. We've categorized him and we meaning like adults, parents, society, liberals, left, like revolutionary. Everybody's like, he is the thing. So if that's how we're, kids feel that, right? Like you, you pick a side and you're either on that side or you're on this side. And if you're on the left leaning side, he is the bad guy. Even if you don't think he's working, you know, we constantly are, no one works alone. He didn't elect himself. Like, like there's a, it's a, it's a, coordinated collective larger issue but for young people for children i think very much he is the villain and if the villain you know like i said like made a mis- we made a mistake we let the villain in we didn't know it was gonna be this bad it has been worse than we possibly thought it could be i just think there's no way that as parents we are going to be able to perpetuate any level of like facade of what america is or is supposed to be if Donald Trump, when, if Donald Trump gets reelected. So there is a level when I say like preparing, yeah, like when I say about preparing on some levels, right? Like we don't live there, you know, we don't live in the U.S. anymore. You guys talk to your kids and have been talking to your kids similar to us around all of this their whole lives. And so I don't think there's going to be any big shock in either one of our households about where we move and what we do and regardless of what happens on Wednesday or as Amara keeps reminding me, like, chances are we're not going to know on Wednesday morning. We might not know for a while who actually becomes, you know, who got elected. But regardless, we're already moving those directions. I think for so many children, right, like because as adults, we don't know how to talk to kids about nuance. And we're like, and don't know how to, like, I don't want to project. I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know how to, like, talk about this. I don't like it because they'll, because t- they'll call you on your shit. 
Because when you're like, well, we don't know, but we're about to do this anyway. We're going to go vote. And they'll be like, tell me more. <laughs> you know, like, why are we here? Like, are we going to school or not? We going, Are we not going to school? Is Corona real? Is it not? Like, what, what are we doing here? And so there's a way when you're talking to children, there's a way in which, like, we don't know how to talk to them in nuance. So we talk in binaries. And then they will call you on your shit. And so when I think about the preparing, it's not so much of, like, you know, we're either going to win or lose and then this is what's going to happen. It's more of like checking in with children about, well, what is your expectation? Like emotionally, what is your expectation? And like, how are we going to like think through that? Because I remember the morning after the election in 2016 and I was a, I was running a school at the time and I spent my whole day comforting children and parents who were like, devastated like I said I sat in front of the school and like just like hugging reassuring I was already clear that Trump was gonna win before that happened so when I, we got up that morning it was like yep yeah, this is what let me go into school like this is what's gonna be but for so many people they were shocked and I do believe that either Trump gets reelected is gonna be shocking for many people or Trump does not get reelected and then shit goes to hell in a handbasket in a whole other different way that people can't expect and that would still be shocking. And so I just, my question is just like, what conversations, if any, are you having with your children about like what their feelings or emotions are around this election and what is coming? I think, I think Allegra's right. We have, we have, I know I have been framing a lot of the conversation as like reactionary for one, like we have an exit strategy. We're out of here. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the goal is mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. not be here, not to be in this country. And so just that alone is a big shift, but why? And I think that having, I don't know if we've necessarily had, had a reason, thoughtful, non-emotional conversation about that because much of it is based on you know, this place just not being a place for people who have values like us. And however, what I will, we have, um, we maybe haven't framed some of the discussions around voting, but we have shifted it to talk about the type of place they want to live in. Like, what is it that's important to mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. in where you you know, mm-hmm. set roots or where, where we land. Right. And so, um, you know, what's come up is, well, a place that's not, um, homophobic that there, that is accepting that, you know, maybe for, you know, Kennedy, it might be climate, you know, like there's, there, those kind of things have come up, come up. And I think that those are the conversations we've, um, prioritized more, like what, what do you want to see in where you, um, where your base is? Where do you, where do you feel the most comfortable? What are, what are the, the value system for a place that you want to call home? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we've been talking about more versus like voting. And I, and, and, and I think that that's significant because to me, that's more significant and, and speaks more to how we, how we educate our kids, right? How do they engage in voting when, from when they're young, 
the process isn't is is so multi-layered they don't really grasp it or feel connected to it like i never felt connected to mm-hmm. um understanding con- you know the different levels of like congress and 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 all the, and government mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it didn't feel like it was go- it didn't it just didn't resonate with me it's not like mm-hmm. you know when someone turns 18 they're like oh my god i can vote most of the time it's like oh i can drive i can um you know whatever whatever the rules might be in that town you know if if it's drinking where you are no one is no one really ever seems interested in voting because they haven't been engaged in a process or seen people really um there be some sort of fruit right produced from Mm -hmm. from that process Mm -hmm. do you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so so i think that it has to start there I want to say when you were talking, I think you're, I completely agree. And I think part of it is like this, this, like, even though you might not have the language for it in your gut as a young person, you know, democracy or the idea of democracy is bullshit and how it is practiced because you cannot have, they understand inequality, right? They're children. Mm -hmm. So they get very on a very basic level, this kind of analogy that you put forth me being the youngest means how much agency I really have up in here, no matter who's voting. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Me being, you know, living farther away from my crew has implications about whether or not I can play on the team. Like they know very in their gut, like how exactly is this democracy thing going to work if you're not accounting for the inequalities that just exist, right? Like just are. And they're not, not even represented talking. in any of it. Yeah. They're not represented in any of it. And they're not even thinking necessarily for the ones that are like orchestrated on purpose to put you in equality. Just like basic shit around like who we are. How, and so when you're pushing like, but vote. And I don't really see how this can be a equally like my one vote can't mean the same as like that dude that lives down the block because he got his mom and his dad there. And like, I don't care who becomes president. That ain't changing in my household. You know, like or whatever it is. I think there's a level of like, that's for other people. That's not for us. That's not really about what's happening here in my household. That's not really... And it's not to say that elections don't have that impact and leadership can't do that, but we've moved so far away from really what it means to be a civil servant, you know, like what it really means to like think about yourself as a representative of this these other people that, you know, might not be able to have access to this circle. We're so disconnected from that. We We, we don't want to recognize that there really is ways in which... There will never be seats at tables for many, many people. So it can't be, that can't be the goal. Um, that children see it. And so it makes sense that, and I think it's what you're doing already, like having the conversation about what is the world you want to create that is not limited by this ballot. That is not about what is happening here. It's actually can be much bigger than anything that any of these politicians, anybody on this ballot could pretty, I think is really important and really, really, really powerful. And I think that it is like, it is preparing your children for this election. Like this election, I think is a really powerful moment to help our children see past American democracy, to really see past what has been offered to them as as good as it gets, because it's not as good as it gets by no means. Um, And so I really thank you both for sharing your thoughts. And you're like, I just want, I guess I always want to say this as a child of, um, I always think about this as like being a child of immigrants. And I know 
a lot of people who in their childhood had to leave their homes, um, not by choice, because there was some kind of civil unrest in the place that they were coming from. And their parents didn't know to talk to them about how emotionally they're impacted by these shifts that are happening in these bigger worlds, but really are going to determine who their friends are, where they sleep at night, the kind of food they have access to. And um, I just really am heartened by the fact that you are engaging in your young people, like drawing the line between how we want to live in our household and what is happening in this larger world. So it kind of like, it's going to still emotionally be what it's going to be emotionally, but you can like, there's a place to unpack it and a way to engage with Mm -hmm. it. Um, So are there any other thoughts or anything anyone wants to share? Yeah, I was going to say, but it's, I want to just like circle back. I think it's also important to have discussions with your kids that aren't just um, villainizing Trump because uh, one thing that stuck Mm -hmm. out to me about what Keith said was that he's, an overt racist. He's an overt sexist. He's an, yes, overt. But, but we also talk about like policies that were, um, instated by, uh, by Obama. Like, right? Like just being, Mm -hmm. being, making sure your kids are, um, savvy enough to recognize that the trick bag that just because, just because someone is doing something overtly doesn't mean that that's the only person you should be looking at as the problem. The problem started way before Trump. And so you need to be, have like, um, your wits about you to know that you, that, that, that that it was there before. These people been tricking us since the transatlantic slave Holocaust. Like the, I even the, just the, I, the idea that, um, the, the preamble to the, to the declaration. I mean, I want to say before then. Right, right. Living, right. yeah, living in Europe, you like, it's way, like, you can't even, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, way, way back. <laughs> like, way, 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 way. 200 years is nothing. 400 yeah. years is nothing. Like. So when I see them, when I see them parading around with their, um, speaking the King's English proper and nice suits and all that, all the other things that, seem like respectability and properness for America. Mm-hmm. It's laughable now. And mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm over it all. <laughs> so true word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Allegra. I, I, I completely, I don't, I feel like, you know, Donald Trump is just a symptom. He's just like, he is just like, you got, everybody got that person. Everybody know that person that's like really showing your whole shit. That all, like when you have like, like you'll have like guys will have a group of friends and they have that one friend that's like, no one claims. Everybody's like, yeah, you know how he is. We not like him. We not like him. You exactly like him. You just do it different. And it's like, it's that kind of thing. Y'all are all exactly like him. And what do you think that the person that's really in charge really thinks about us if they're, if their represent if their representative is Trump, like now we're just gonna show y'all our whole ass because all this time leading up to Trump, Bush, and everyone that preceded him, like y'all weren't <laughs> getting it. Like we've been feeding you this for years. We've been giving you little bits of Trump, and now we're just gonna give you the whole thing because it hasn't really made you nothing whiteness, is really whiteness is in all of its mediocrity here. Yeah, I gotta say, I think Hamara and I, I mean, this, this isn't, we'll end the podcast now because this is like going off this other tangent. Um, but thank you both for being here. Goodbye, people. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
Instead of fussing and fighting. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound. Why not just get together and live in one love and one unity, you know? Rebel in the morning, rebel in the evening too. Now don't you be like a devil when I play with sounds called a rebel, rebel, rebel. Okay, so Blue Moxie, you just told me something that I did not know or imagine. And you said to me that 2020 was supposed to be your year. Like, everyone on the bus was all like, 2020, we're going to have flying cars. We're going to have a black female president. I need though, slow down, slow down. So I need to understand... What were what do you mean that you thought 2020 was supposed so, to be your year? Donald Trump was just elected. All the children were in shock because, like, for the last two months, we had all been hating on the guy nonstop. Just like, do you got do you think that the guys who work for Donald Trump know the kids are swearing about him on the bus? Do you think he knows? Because I think that's gonna hurt we his made chances. It for song. Yes, we made it for song. That was just it was, was like a curse. We were, like, we, we were back in the days when I didn't need to say language. Exactly. So we were like, Donald Trump is a beep, 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 a beep, a beep, 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 Because we were on the bus. Mm-hmm. So the beep, it like what bus? out the swear word. What bus? The bus home, the bus back. The school bus. The school bus. So you're on the school bus and you guys had this song. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sing it again. We sing it all the time. We're like, Donald Trump is a beep, 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 And so... Okay, and then what happened? And then he won. And everyone was like, what the fuck? Because everyone was just like, what just happened? We all, like, everyone's just like, he can't win. And then he won, and everyone was like, what on earth? Our victory. (laughs) What happened? And then after, like, after everyone settled into the fact that this guy is president, the idea was, in four years, he'll be gone. So in four years, there'll be a new guy, and this mistake that America made will be over. In four years, Barack Obama will come back and reclaim his honor. <laughs> but, you know. Like, it's like, yeah, it's just like, and all we have to do is survive the four years. Mm. And if we survive the four years, then the four years, after the four years, 2020, it wasn't called 2020, it was just four years from now. <laughs> like, you know? But, like, in four years, there'll be a new guy. In four years, either the world will be over or everything will be great. Exactly. And what do you think well, now? Well, sadly, the world is ending. <laughs> no. no, I think we'll be fine. Yeah. We got a new white mistake instead of the old white mistake. That's good. <laughs> That's a step upwards. Or at least a step to the side. Good it's jazz a- up the escalator. <sighs> but that was so... I mean... <laughs> 2020 disappointed us. It didn't disappoint. It just... It didn't disappoint. It, it decided to catch on fire. What do you mean? See, so, for me... Yeah, what do you mean? disappoint. Because for me, 2020, like, four years, meant there's going to be something different. There's going to be change. It's going to be not this. And I feel like not this is better than any other not this. So, the point... <laughs> so, I was just like... So, then... 
corona broke out. And it's like, okay, it's not that. That's going to be over. So it didn't disappoint in the sense it disappointed you. did not disappoint me. Because I knew there's going to be change. And there... Some part of me was aware that when this come when this ends, it's not gonna end quietly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some part of my brain wasn't like the dream, the hope on the bus was like he's gonna he's gonna step down quietly, and then the new guy would okay. come up and he'd be like, "Cool, let's save all the people, let's fix all the mistakes that guy made, and it'll be like it never happened. And it'll be quiet and subtle, and we'll bury the evidence. And then, but instead, 2020 decided, hey, instead of doing this quietly, and, you know, burning all the evidence, let's just burn all, like, society instead. And so let's just change it. Let's just... Burn all the evidence in the middle of town square. Exactly. So I feel like... 2020 decided that instead of doing this quietly, because they were going quietly for a very, like, for the past four years, change was happening one step, and then another step, Mm. and it was tiptoeing very slowly, and then 2020 was just like, actually, this is going way too slowly, so let's just, let's just get it all done. Let's just do it. Let's just destroy the economy, and then we'll start from scratch. It reminds me of the French Revolution. Here's a hist- Boxy's history section. <laughs> French Revolution, everyone was like, down with the monarchy, yay, it's over, whoa, we win. Now we gotta punch each other in the face to decide who actually won. So Not gonna be quiet. There's gonna be bloodshed. Yeah. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> there doesn't have to be. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 